You're listening to the AID Network. Look, it's Disneyland. Hey friends, it's that time of week again. It's that time to head out to Disneyland. Time to do it all over again. Before I get started with today's very special show, themed around the holiday weekend, happy birthday, America. Still looking pretty good. Not too shabby for your age. I want to bring up this. As we all know, Disneyland is not opening up on July 17th for the 65th anniversary. And I promised you I would keep giving you new episodes every Wednesday until the park reopened. Well, I'm not going back on my promise. That promise holds true. No matter how long it takes till the gates open, you and I, we can go to Disneyland every Wednesday. But to sweeten the pot, I know a lot of us really wanted to go to Disneyland on July 17th. So I decided I'm going to go there anyways. What this means to you and what this means for me, it's a little crazier on my end than on yours. On Friday, July 17th, in honor of 65 years of Disneyland and in honor of everyone that had their hopes up to go out to the park, I'm going, which means you can follow along with me on a virtual live stream tour of Disneyland from 7 a.m., to 1 a.m., an entire operational day of Disneyland ran by me. I will adhere to the schedule. What's that mean, Bricky? Let me explain. From 7 to 8 a.m., we'll just be staying on Main Street, waiting for rope drop as we start to go into Walt's original Magic Kingdom. We'll go around from land to land. We'll go on the different attractions. Of course, all done in a very virtual way, using POV videos, using Google Maps as our way to get around. But hey, With the sights and sounds of Disneyland, it will feel like we are there. So on Friday, July 17th, I don't expect anybody to be as crazy as I am to do it for 18 hours straight. But if at any point in that day you have a free five minutes or a free hour and you want to check in with me and see where I'm at in Disneyland, you can find me over on YouTube.com slash Adventures in Design or over at Twitch.tv slash AID Network. And I've been practicing. Last Friday, I took everybody around to all the safe spaces that Jared and I had mentioned on episode 25 of Disneyland for Designers. And I'm doing it again this Friday from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Disneyland time. I will be taking everyone around the park virtually on all of the destinations mentioned in today's show. So there you go. You want to go to Disneyland this Friday with me? I'll see you at 10 a.m. over on Twitch. If you want to go and be a part of the 65th anniversary where they say we're not opening, but I say it must open. The people must go. I will be there. You can check in with me over at YouTube or over on Twitch. That's a lot of information. What do you say we get started with today's episode? Episode 26 of Disneyland for Designers, The Patriotism of Disneyland. And if you would just give me one more second of your time before we get started today, today happens to be my 1200th episode of producing podcast over at AID.network. Thank you so much to everybody who's ever stopped by and listened to one single episode or to all my friends that came back for a second one. Thank you, Circle of Trust, for giving me the dream, the job of a lifetime. I appreciate you each and every day, and I hope that you see the work that I put into all of these episodes for each of you. Now let's get to Disneyland. This is the story of a beautiful place known as the happiest place on earth and all of its history, its secrets, 
and its tricks that you may find if your mind believes in design and you allow your heart to believe in magic. Step inside and become a citizen of Disneyland. Greetings, fellow citizens of Disneyland. As you know, my button still pending. I'll get it one day. Welcome to a different kind of episode of Disneyland for Designers. This week, it's just you and I taking a lap out at Walt's original Magic Kingdom because today's topic is sort of a big one, sort of a heavy one. And I don't want any detail to get washed away in conversation. I want every point to be made as clearly as I can possibly make it. And good news, if you enjoy today's walk around Disneyland, you can join me this Friday over on Twitch to do a virtual walk around of every land, every attraction mentioned. I did a tour last week over on Twitch of the 10 safe spaces that Jared and I picked to go to when socially distant Disneyland reopens. It's a nice three-hour tour that you can join me on, and I'll be doing it again this Friday. Twitch.tv slash AID Network. Join me at 10 a.m. this Friday as we will step off on this week's tour. Standing inside of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, you realize that when you make something, it's so important that you find an audience that loves it, that adores it, that understands it. If you can find a way to connect with people, you find a way into their hearts, you find a way to build a fan base. And with a fan base, you build the ability to keep growing and growing your empire, your dreams, your pursuits, all of the things that you want to make are made possible when you have a fan base. And marketing is a lot about awareness. If you want to make something, you want to make sure that people already kind of know what it is. Starting from scratch is the absolute hardest spot to start from. When we look at the valuable real estate that is Disneyland here in Anaheim, California, when they decided to open up 14 acres of valuable backstage real estate that lets the show go on seamlessly each and every day for all of us, like Tony Soprano once said, if you're going to invest in anything, invest in land, because God, he's not going to make any more of it. And Disneyland, well, they gambled correctly on this property that you and I are standing in right now. Because on May 31st, 2019, when they finally opened up the central entrance into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, the park was flooded with people month before the website had crashed on people trying to get four different four-hour reservations of each and every day for the first couple of weeks. And this land would then again flood with people. And I was one of them on January 17th earlier this year to try to ride the most elaborate attraction Disney Imagineers have ever created to this moment, Rise of the Resistance. Why did people flood here? from all over to be one of the first to walk into this 14-acre build-out? Why did they come back again? And Disney had to put signs all around the park explaining why if you don't have a boarding group, you're not going to get on because people love Star Wars. 
they knew that this 14 acres would be a worthy investment traded for the love of Star Wars. And even people that don't necessarily love the movies or or love Star Wars love the idea of what Disneyland could do with Star Wars. Plenty of people, I think, maybe you, fall into that category. That's why in 2012, Disney would purchase Star Wars for what seems like a deal now at $4 billion. Because, quite simply, making Star Wars stuff makes people happy. And you can debate what business Disney is actually in. Are they in the business of theme parks or movies, intellectual property? Are they in the business of making magic? I think ultimately they're in the business of making people happy. Because when you make people happy, you make a fan. And going back to the beginning of our conversation three minutes ago, when you have fans, you create the bandwidth. You create the pipeline of energy, of money, of people to help you keep building whatever it is that you want to build. So when Disney announced the unimaginable 14 new acres of Disneyland, they bet it on an IP that they knew people would love. And for those of you that don't know what IP is, it's intellectual property. It's something we're going to talk about a lot today. It's something we talk a lot about on the podcast. Being from the world of entertainment, I just assume that everybody knows that. As I've become a student of Disneyland and and studying its deep history and all of its background information, where it came from and how it matured, one thing that I've learned is that Disney loves a repeated success. They always like to build something new that stands on the shoulders of all of the successes that came before it. One could easily say that if you look at Rise of the Resistance, you could go through that entire attraction and say, oh, that's from the Haunted Mansion. That's from Indiana Jones. That's a Pirates of the Caribbean type idea. They continually say we need to make something new. But we are a brand that has transformed into a historical brand drenched in nostalgia. So when we make new moves, it needs to feel new. It needs to feel exciting. But it also always needs to feel familiar. And this is a cornerstone, an ideology of Disney as a company that started from its very, very first projects. Now you say to yourself, how can you start off with history? How can you start off with nostalgia? Well, you can do that by starting off with IP, intellectual property, building your content around stories and characters that people are already familiar with. And 97 years ago, when Walt Disney started making movies, he knew he needed a familiar hook to bring in the audiences. He needed, quite frankly, his Star Wars. And he did that by building movies, cartoons, shorts, full-length films based around fairy tales. Now, before you roll your eyes at this thought, really, really imagine what he was doing. I'm going to put a lot of money and a lot of resources into building my first shorts. Now, when you're building a business, you have to make sure that you create something that's so successful that you get a chance at bat again. If you go deep on this great idea that you love, but nobody shows up, nobody buys it, nobody gets a ticket, nobody sees it, then it was all for nothing. So he needed to hedge his bets and make sure that he had the most successful projects that he could pick right out of the gate. So people would watch them. People would love them. He would create a fan base so people would come back 
affording him the opportunity to do this over and over again. So if you're going to tell a story, why not tell a story based on fairy tales? Sure, everyone's heard a different version of how it works, and people have gone to bed for years, for decades, being told these stories. But when you tell your own version of it, when you create characters and sounds and voices and storylines, when you add more drama, when you add more pause, when you make the villains more villainous and the heroes more heroic, you have now owned these stories. So if you do your job properly, people show up in 1922 because they know what Little Red Riding Hood is. But if you do your job properly, after they walk away, they feel like the only version of Little Red Riding Hood they know is the one that you just showed them. Think about Snow White in 1937, a story that had existed. But now every time you hear someone say Snow White... What is the image that's captured inside your brain? And I'm sure the same could be said for Pinocchio, Cinderella, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, Sleeping Beauty. All of these came from somewhere else first. But when they were reinvented, retold by Disney, they became the versions that we all know, that we all love, we all adore, and we all care about. Walt started from a baseline of zero and immediately could build fans because he picked IP, he picked characters, he picked stories that people already cared about. Thus, starting at zero, but already having a fan base, or at least an awareness. Because this shortcut only works if the product is good. Yeah, you can get people to show up, but to keep them coming back, the work has to be good. And we all know the work was fantastic. But to get his studio up and off the ground, Walt knew that he needed this shortcut. 30 years later in 1955, when Walt would open up Disneyland, he knew that he needed to do this trick again. He knew he needed an IP for adults. To make a family-friendly park, you need to make attractions for the entire family. And sure, Fantasyland was a no-brainer. It was an easy win for kids. All of these movies and stories we talked about, you could give them one dedicated land where every child's dreams could come true. Adults sure would feel the nostalgia for it. I mean, I'm an adult and I love Fantasyland, but primarily this was an easy win for the kids. But going back to the idea of a family-friendly park, you need attractions for everyone. Adventureland gave parents the idea of traveling to exotic locations. Context is king when you're telling a story. Remember, 1950s when this is being designed, 54 when it's being built, and 55 when it opens up to me and you, air travel was not cheap. People didn't zigzag all around the country like they used to back in February of this year, and like we will soon again, probably in 2021, but the context is so important that Adventureland gave people the chance to go on an adventure, a vacation of once in a lifetime that they knew, quite honestly, they would probably never be able to take. But when Walt looked over at the idea for Frontierland, Rivers of America, Main Street, USA, and even Tomorrowland. You may have not realized it, but he was serving up the past, present, and the future promise of America. And all that America meant to Walt Disney. Walt knew that he needed a familiarity. Once again, he needed an IP that would bring people in and tell them a story that they were not only familiar with, but a story that they absolutely loved. So today, we're looking at the patriotism of Disneyland and how Walt Disney leveraged America and its story 
and its promise to its guests, which largely all would be from America. Tapping into their patriotism, Walt Disney knew that Disneyland would feel familiar like a place that they loved and remind them of the promise of what it meant to be an American. Disneyland is dedicated to the ideas, the dreams, and the hard facts that have created America. Hard facts have made America, and hard facts have made the history of the world. In fact, when we look backwards, things just seem a lot harder. Things seem a lot more unjust, unfair, which I think is the way that you probably want it, right? Because if you look backwards and things seem a little rough around the edges, that would mean that they're a little bit more polished and smooth now. As a civilization, as a people, as a species, we want to feel like we're evolving in the right direction. So what I would just like to get out in today's episode, hard facts have made America and it's written the history of the world. Walt Disney, fun fact, just like you and I, was not perfect. And neither is history. Not U.S. history, not world history. Mankind has not been perfect since the beginning when it was humans and we decided to name it Mankind. Walt's history on planet Earth was from December 5th, 1901, from December 15th to 1966. The world is way different now, and I think that's how we would want it to be. You want the world to be different. You want the world to evolve. You want to do better. Disneyland can't change its history like none of us can. Our history is already written, but each of us determine how we write our futures. And Disneyland continues to write its future, which in fairness to me, so that I can get my job done properly and not have to sit here and make a 12 hour episode, that's a whole other conversation for another time. And I'm willing to make that episode, but I wanted to put this little piece in the podcast so you could enjoy looking at the foundation from which Disneyland was built off of. Sure, it's not perfect by today's standards, but who is? So I'm telling you the story of how it was built and how Disneyland was meant to be really a mirror held up to America and its story in a way so that people could come to this beautiful place and feel familiar and be reminded why they loved who they were and where they came from. I wanted to put this little piece in here for all the, yeah, but Bricky, did you know that Walt Disney did this? Did you know that the former president once said this? Once again, a different story for a different time. So within that context, I hope that you can enjoy Disneyland's patriotism for America and how it inspired the park. And if you can't, maybe this episode just isn't for you. Frontierland is a tribute to the faith, courage, and ingenuity of the pioneers who blazed the trails across America. We find ourselves back in the exciting days when the story of our country's past was being lived. We will ride a covered wagon to a roaring river town, pay a visit to Slewfoot Sioux's Golden Horseshoe, and then catch the paddle wheel steamer Mark Twain for a trip down the rivers of America. Ding!
dangerous days when our country was young. A lot of tales been told, a lot of songs been sung. But the men came to wilderness and fought with their hands that you and I might live in this mightiest of lands. With that being said, today's story starts in Frontierland, the area of Disneyland that was dedicated to America's past. The opening day dedication said, It is here where we experience the story of our country's past, the color, romance, and drama of the frontier America as it developed from wilderness trails to roads, riverboats, railroads, and civilization. A tribute to faith, courage, and ingenuity of our hardy pioneers who blazed the trails and made this progress possible. With the way that America was settled, it's easy to think of Frontierland as the Wild West. But keep in mind, in the context of this story, the Wild West wasn't Arizona, Nevada, or California. It was Kentucky. It was Tennessee. It's where I'm from. Early common narrative of entertainment was the frontier. Cowboys and Indians, settlers on the prairies. These were stories that Americans love because it was not so far away from the world that they were living in. It was a time of exploration when this place that everybody adored, their home, was being founded. Walt knew that tapping into the frontier spirit would not only take back the nostalgia of when America was being settled, but the idea of bravery that it took, the courage that it took to settle out a land, to claim a stake, to build a small town. And in many ways, this is what Walt was doing with Disneyland. He was building his very own small town in Anaheim, an orange grove that was relatively unsettled. He was kind of the frontier land of frontier land. If you stop and think about it, well, this just got deep. We all know that Walt was obsessed with transportation. And when you look at Disneyland, part of what makes it so magical is all the transportation that's built into the park. Walt loved the ideas of trails to roads, riverboats, railroads, all of these things that would make civilization. He would copy all of this in his park. But by doing it under the disguise of the frontier would make it feel familiar to people. Making a backdrop that could be the home to characters such as Daniel Boone, Davy Crockett, cowboys, Native Americans, settlers, and gold chasers. To be a good storyteller, you got to tell a story that relates to you. If you can find what really is at the core of your existence and tell that story, the chances are it will relate to somebody else. Because after all, as fancy as we are with these opposable thumbs, we are humans. We are an animal. We are a species. We're not too far apart from one another, even though at times it can sure feel that way. The creation of Frontierland was not only telling Walt's childhood, but it was telling the childhood of the nation. Creating Frontierland was not only bringing his imagination to life, but every other adult that had ever dreamed of what it was like before their time. An America that was unsettled. An America where you could head out with your courage and your bravery and find a place to settle down and call your own. In early planning of Disneyland, Walt described the park as providing a lesson in American heritage. Frontierland was meant to be a remembrance of the past of America, to remember rougher and tougher times. After all, 1950s America would file through the gate and come in here. These were people that were the first wave of living in track homes. Their lives have been, well, arguably quite easier than people 100 years before them. 
Frontierland would act as a reminder of where America came from. 1950s America had benefited from a post-World War II economic boom that our nation had never seen before. Consumerism was at an all-time high. These were people that were living quite the charmed life. And really, so are you and I. When we walk through the old fort under the sign that says Frontierland, and everything around us looks like it was sculpted out of a chopped down tree. When we walk inside of that fort, we walk into a different time of our history. We see stone sitting at the base of the American flag that's hung off the side of what looks like an old pine tree. We see covered wagons with merchandise in them. We see logs making walls. Old school wood plank siding with lettering on it that looks hand painted and worn out. Hell, we can even shoot a gun. It's the only place in Disneyland where you can shoot a gun. All right, buzzes, but that's more of a blaster. I mean, this is for sure. It's a shooting gallery. And maybe if you don't feel like shopping, you can walk down the wooded plank sidewalks. The crick and crack when you walk past all of the fancy woodcut pillars holding up a roof that looks like it's shingled out of pieces of old plywood. Then the golden horseshoe sitting on the corner kind of looks like the backdrop of every western from yesteryear it's got the big fancy ornate sign it's got the balcony that we can't really get up on but you could always imagine somebody shooting off the edge of it and when you go inside of it it has that mixed use space right like they have shows and diners it feels like the 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 central part of every western where this is the area where everybody comes in from the outskirts goes in does their business does a little bit of drinking a little bit of eating and probably at the end of the day a little bit of shooting here in frontier land we use wood for rails stones from a creek to keep the plants away from all the guests and all the benches look like they're made out of old planks of wood lanterns on top of a wood post keep you lit up at night and when we gotta keep things together we use a leather strap to make it feel tight Frontierland, the IP, the idea of where we're going, is way, way, way back into the origins, the founding of America. Walt knew in 1955 that this would be something that people would love to see. And over the years, Frontierland has lost a little bit of space, and it's probably lost a step to today's fans. But in the beginning of building this park, he knew to give people their way, way, way back history would be an IP, it would be an idea that people were familiar with, but maybe never got to step inside of. In Frontierland, Walt gave people the opportunity to relive a past that they were never a part of, but had learned about stories they'd been told from their grandparents, books that they read in school, movies that they saw at the local cinema, and TV shows that they showed up for each and every week. Frontierland made this mythical past a reality. And as we all know in the month of July, when it has its USA American bunting hanging all over it, when we walk into Frontierland, we're not only walking into Disneyland's past, we're walking into our past. And Walt knew, taking America's heritage, repackaging it, filling it with nostalgia, filling it with a familiarity, was reselling people the idea of the place that they were proud to be from. And as a subtle way to tell that story, when you walk into the entrance of Frontierland through the old fort, there are 13 flags along the walls, along the entranceway, and they each represent the original 13 colonies of the United States of America.
Moving deeper into Disneyland, not only is the Rivers of America, well, named after America, but it's a remembrance of an older time. Just how frontier land pays tribute to the settlers, the Rivers of America pays tribute to the shipping, the transportation of America. I come from the banks of the Ohio River, and I'm proud to say that when the Mark Twain would first set sail, that a bottle that contained water from all the major rivers in America was broken across the bow for the ship's christening. That means a little bit of water from the Ohio River, where I'm from, the river that I played in as a kid, still flowing through that river today. The steamship, the Mark Twain, pays tribute to the steamships that would run up and down the Mississippi and the Ohio. They were transportation for fancy folks, but also would take blue-collar workers from place to place, as well as transport some of the merchandise of the time. Walt knew that the steamship was a big part of U.S. history, but not a part of California history. I mean, you can't really ride a steamship, or a steamboat, I should say, through the Pacific Ocean, and there are no rivers around here to ride a steamship through. So bringing the idea of the old American paddle boat to California, once again, the context of 1955, he was serving up a part of American history that these folks were familiar with, but had never really seen. The idea of an old steamship running around a river in Southern California, that's something only a true visionary could think of and a true genius of a businessman could execute. The idea of the Mark Twain circling around Tom Sawyer Island pays tribute not only to one of America's favorite authors of the time, as well as one of America's favorite characters of the time. I'm of the age where I had to read this book in school, so I can only imagine that most of the folks that would file in in 55 would have an enormous familiarity with all of this. It's all things that they would have read and heard about, but if they were true West Coasters, stuff that they had never seen before. Here is Walt Disney taking America's history, taking America's geography, serving it up as an experience for people that were familiar with it that never got to see it or never got to experience it. And for folks like me that migrated out West, this is the most emotional part of the park. Sometimes just hearing that boat go by reminds me of being a kid riding my skateboard through the neighborhood and literally hearing the steam whistle of the Bella Louisville over the hills. The rivers of America would identify an eastern part of America to the California audience. This isn't a river territory that I'm in right now. Creating this part of Disneyland would create a nostalgia. It would create an identity for this particular part of the park that would always remind people of another place at another time. And when you're trying to sell tickets, promising people that you can let them experience something that they fantasized about or learned about is a great way to get them to commit to an afternoon at your theme park. The Rivers of America would keep this tradition going when it would later add the sailing ship Columbia. The sailing ship Columbia is a full-scale replica of the Columbia Redivia, the first American ship to circumnavigate the globe. And here you just thought it was a fancy name and a fun place for pirates to hang out. Everything in Disneyland, every name, every sign, every store, everything that you see written in this beautiful place is inspiration from somewhere else. It's a thread that I can't stop pulling on because every time you pull it, you find magic at the other end. And just a little side note, Walt Disney's not the only one to name something after the sailing ship Columbia. 
Ever heard of Spaceship Columbia? NASA copied Walt. And while we're talking U.S. history, R.I.P. to the seven astronauts that would die on the space shuttle Columbia that a young me would watch in fifth grade live on TV. And I know you're probably sick of me talking about this guy, but I love the idea that Walt Disney was the businessman, the visionary, the ideas. He had his brother Roy, who was the money man, but to build this park, he knew that he needed a strong man. And he went to the military. Admiral Joe Fowler oversaw Disneyland's construction, and he also did the same for Walt Disney World in Walt's absence. Not only did the former naval admiral tell Walt, we got to build these dry docks in here. We're going to build these boats. We need to give them a place to treat them like real boats so they'll last as long as real boats. Admiral Joe was one of the first people to convince Walt Disney, you're building a small town, not backdrops for a movie. But one of the other things that Admiral Joe told Walt that needed to happen, he told Disney that it was customary to put a silver dollar under each mast before it was set sail. Disney personally put one under each of the Columbia's three masts. So I have to ask you, is the Mark Twain, is the sailing ship Columbia, are they rides? Are they replicas or are they real river boats? Each still making laps on the rivers of America around Tom Sawyer's Island almost each and every day. And when they do so, they pass Fowler's Harbor, named after Naval Admiral Joe Fowler. So there alone is a property with names on it that most people don't know what it is. But if you dig a little bit deeper, it itself, it's a tribute to a man that not only served his country, but to a man that served Disneyland. Admiral Joe, thank you for your service. Just as this river and these boats are a tribute to the history of this country. Now, in an effort not to make this a 12-hour podcast, I'm just going to kind of walk over here. I'm going to go through one of my favorite spots, Magnolia Park. I'd always wondered, where did this fountain come from here in New Orleans Square? I, I love that this little park exists somewhere between the Haunted Mansion and the Mint and Julep Bar. This little area where you can sit around and listen to the sounds of the riverboats go by, listen to the sounds of the fountain in front of us. But you can also hear one of my favorite sounds in all of Disneyland. When you're getting on the Disneyland Railroad, New Orleans Square Train Depot, if you hear that clicking in the background, that old school Morris code, an old telegram that's being transmitted for all to hear, you know what that sound is, then you know that's Walt's opening day speech converted over into Morris code that we're hearing in this telegram. My favorite thing about this detail is that means as long as this loop is going every single day, that means that Walt's voice still being heard in the park every minute of every operational day. As I hop on the train going away from here, and don't get me started on New Orleans Square, I could go on and on about this for days and days. It's not an original land of the park, even though it feels quite original to Disneyland. As I'm pulling away, I would just like to say, keep in mind that when Walt expanded the park, as we started today's voyage over in the galaxy's edge, when Walt redistributed the way that the land worked and adjusted the railroad and gave people a little bit more of space that wasn't open to guests, he gave them New Orleans Square. 
themed after a city in America. It wasn't from a radio play. It wasn't from a real play. It wasn't from a movie. It wasn't from a TV show. It was a city. And going back to 60s Disneyland, people didn't hop on planes. People didn't zigzag all around America. This was a chance to bring the French Quarter to the citizens of the West Coast. While always the great storyteller was going by the golden rule. If I love it, it probably means other folks love it as well. Bringing the celebration of Mardi Gras, the celebration of jazz, the celebration of Creole food to the West Coast. He knew what he was doing when he opened up the park and gave up a little bit more land to the guests. He was serving up New Orleans, something that he loved and he knew that everyone else would. So next time you get on the Disneyland Railroad at the New Orleans Square train depot, keep in mind that little tick-tock that you're hearing in the background, that's Walt talking to you. That's Walt telling you the promise of Disneyland. If you guys don't mind, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to enjoy this loop and I'll see you again when we get off at the Main Street train station. Now steaming back to our own time and to Main Street Station, gateway to Disneyland. If you'll be leaving us here, stay in your seat till we come to a full stop. And remember to gather all your personal belongings, including the young ones if you got any, and step carefully from the train. I'd especially like to thank those of you who've been with me for the Grand Circle Tour of Disneyland. We sure to hope you enjoyed your travels with us and that you'll come back and see us again real soon. For those of you traveling on, we'll be on our way again in just a few minutes. This is Main Street Station, Main Street, USA. Oh, I don't have to tell you guys how much I love riding on that train. Okay, Main Street, USA. Pretty obvious one, right? Says it in the name. Main Street, United States of America. But when you think about the concept of this would be the entryway of Disneyland, this is the one land that we've all been to guaranteed the most, unless you're a crazy obsessed monorail guy. Main Street USA, instantly when we come through the tunnels, I prefer the tunnel on the right, it instantly transforms us into a much simpler time. This was an America that we've seen in movies, that we've read about, that we've heard about, but many of us have never got to live. We've seen one or two buildings that look like this in the downtowns of the cities that we're all from, but we've never got to see a town square or a full two blocks of these buildings in this pristine condition lining the streets, the cobblestone, the horses going by, the old fire truck, the double-decker bus, the old ragtime car, 
We never got to see this version of America, although we were all very familiar with this moment in time. And fun fact, this was Walt recreating what his childhood felt like to him. Not exactly what it looked like, but what it felt like. And if Disneyland is anything, it's the memory of a child. It's not the way that a photo captures it, but it's the way that we remember it in our hearts and our imaginations. And Main Street USA, as you and I stand here today and look around at all these beautiful buildings, all the hand-painted signs, the perfectly placed light bulbs all around us, this is all here as an imagination, as a memory of what America once felt like, what it once possibly looked like when things just went a little bit slower, when there were less options, when things didn't cost as much. When we first come into the park, we instantly get a sigh of relief. And it's brought to us by this backdrop, by this set on the stage that we're standing on. With the fun music playing in the background, with the simpler architecture, with the old vehicles, it just feels familiar, even though you and I have never quite been here before. It's like the promise of Christmas that every Christmas movie is based on. Maybe we've never had that magical Christmas, but we all know what the perfect Christmas story is supposed to be like. The perfect Christmas morning. Mom and dad hear the kids down the stairs. Oh no, Santa ate the cookies. He drank the milk. The, 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 the reindeers, that's what they're called. They had the carrots, right? Everybody loves their gift. Dad slides over a surprise gift for mom. Mom goes, oh, Ward, you shouldn't have. The lights are all hung in the window. There's snow outside. And carolers singing off in the distance. We all know the promise of perfection, but rarely do we get to live it or live inside of it. Main Street USA gives us the perfect quintessential American dream. And Main Street USA was not only designed to bring back Walt's memory of his childhood, not the reality, but the way that a child remembers it, but it also brings back the memory or the childhood of our nation. Not exactly the way that it was, but the way that America chooses to remember it and to retell it. Disneyland was intended to not only recreate Walt Disney's moment of possibility, but it's also built to recreate America's possibility. A simpler time, Main Street USA reminds us of, of when America was both innocent and ambitious. Or so we're told. Do these times just seem more perfect because there was less media, less photographs, less connectivity? I think that's probably the case, but just like believing in the perfect Christmas, I'm going to choose to believe in a more innocent, a more simpler America because it makes Disneyland an easier dream to believe in. When you imagine America's pop culture, and that's really our greatest export to the rest of the world, there are few moments that feel more Americana than the city of Disneyland. Walking down the perfectly curated Main Street USA is to step back in time and our country's history 
to explore a past and a present commitment to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that all Americans are promised. Walt Disney once said, for those of us who remember the carefree time it recreates, Main Street will bring back happy memories. For younger visitors, it's an adventure in turning back the calendar to the days of their grandfather's youth. I would like to say that I don't know that this time ever existed. I don't know if it was ever that innocent or that pure, but I love the fable of it. I love the notion of it. And I love that Walt cared enough about the values of what America was supposed to be, that even though it didn't actually exist, he built it so everybody could enjoy it, everybody could observe it, and have the memories of Main Street USA be their real memories of the promise of this great nation. And Main Street USA is truly the spine of Disneyland. The whole design is dependent on Main Street USA working. And it's the most perfectly designed land of all of Disneyland. It has required the fewest edits, the fewest additions. This is the part of the park they nailed right out of the gate. And it's a crossroads, a remembrance of a forgotten era. It showcases the American optimism that many of us have a hard time seeing and believing today. It's the promise of the American enterprise where every citizen can start their own little shop on Main Street and flourish. And it brings all of us the nostalgia of just this earlier, simpler time. And friends, we're living in some of the most complicated times ever recorded in U.S. history. And some of it's fact, some of it's fiction, I mean, there's so many patriotic treasures up and down Main Street, USA. The 19th century Baltimore gas lamps that line the street. These gas lamps around us, they were 150 plus years old when they came to Disneyland 65 years ago. It's funny. Over the last couple of years of things have gotten a little contentious in America. When I've lost hope or lost faith or felt disconnected, for my own personal patriotic feelings that I was raised on, being from the South, being from Kentucky, raised here in America. Even though at times the last handful of years, it's all felt a little disjointed to me personally, Main Street USA always relights that fire of what I believe America can truly be. It reminds me of the promise of why this place was created and what I need to do as an individual citizen to make sure that that promise is fulfilled, not only for me and my friends and my family, but for everyone that I encounter, for everyone that I walk across from on a Main Street USA or a Main Street anywhere in the USA. It's pretty cool that Disneyland's Main Street USA sort of one real solid attraction. I mean, I don't know where you count the vehicles and all of that. And the Disneyland Railroad, that belongs to the park. That's labeled on Disney's website as an everywhere attraction. But the one real attraction on Main Street USA is great moments with Mr. Lincoln. And I love that adult Walt Disney was able to build a monument to childhood boy Walt Disney's hero. When Walt was in the fifth grade, he would take some of his dad's clothing items, cut them up, polish them up, and made his very own homemade Abraham Lincoln costume with a beard 
strapped to his little chin. Walt recited the Gettysburg Address for his class. Walt's principal was so impressed by Walt's performance, he asked a young Walt Disney to recite the speech for all of the classes, which became an annual ritual until Walt graduated. This story alone shows his love for imagination, his love for costuming and theater and entertaining people and wanting to be adored because he could have just read the Gettysburg Address and been like, sick, that's awesome. But he decided to perform it. He decided to live inside of it. This one story shows everything about a child that would grow up to be a man such as Walt Disney. And more than 50 years later, he was able to bring this idea to life for the 1964-65 World's Fair in New York City, when the state of Illinois had hired Walt to do an entertainment installation. People were dumbfounded, shocked, thought it was a complete scam, that no way is that a robot Abraham Lincoln reading to us the Gettysburg Address. The fact that that attraction that was part of the World's Fair that symbolizes one of Walt's heroes lives right here in our town square, that means so much to me. It really shows the idea of, guess what? Your heroes have heroes. And guess what? Everybody starts out doing an improv skit in front of their classmates. But if a couple of people tell you that you're good at something, guess what? You start to believe that you are. And with that ego and with that self-confidence, who knows where you can go? Maybe you start an animation studio. Maybe you make some movies. Maybe one day when everybody tells you that you're crazy, you build an amusement park and name it after yourself. Yeah, Bricky Land. I like the sound of that. When Walt would move great moments with Mr. Lincoln to Disneyland, he thought that the attraction was so important that back then you had to buy a ticket book, A through E, to ride various attractions. He wanted to make this free for all. So with your ticket to Disneyland, you could always see great moments with Mr. Lincoln. It meant so much for him, for people to be able to see not only his personal lifelong 360 degrees of portraying this man turning it into an animatronic entertaining people on the world stage then bringing it back home to California but he knew that this story was important and he knew that by making it easy and accessible more people would hear what he felt was important I hope that Lincoln continues to tell that story each and every operational day at Disneyland, and I make sure to check it out at least two or three times a year. And let us strive to deserve, as far as mortals may, the continued care of divine providence, trusting that in future national emergencies, he will not fail to provide us the instruments of safety and security. Neither let us be slandered from our duty by false accusations against us, or frightened from it by menaces of destruction to the government, nor of dungeons to ourselves. Let us have faith that right makes right. And in that faith, let us to the end dare to do our duty as we understand it. Thine eyes have seen the glory of
So now you say Bricky. I understand Frontierland shows the very, very past of America. I understand that Main Street USA is sort of the template of modern America that we live in. Yeah, it's old-timey, but it's sort of the familiar version of the world that we live in today. But how did Walt Disney use Tomorrowland, the future, space travel? How did he use that as an IP to sell his park? And what does it have to do with his patriotism for America? And I would say to you this, in 1955, people could feel we were getting ready to go to the moon. People knew that science and technology was building and that next frontier of exploration and travel was gonna be to outer space. Walt could fill that promise building and every optimist could see the vision of a tomorrow that included space travel. And some might even say, building a Tomorrowland, the idea of building a spaceship to the moon it kind of justifies it. It kind of makes it feel more real, right? So 14 years later, when we would send a man to the moon, that was 14 years of people going to Disneyland and being like, yeah, this is something that's possible. America can do this, right? Like, we were discovered by people that came from other places, but as a nation of immigrants, this gave us a very rare opportunity to go someplace new and to discover it put our flag down and say we were the first to go there. And I think Walt believed that this was very possible before it seemed possible, when it was more of an idea, closer to dream than reality. And when we look at what JFK said about going to the moon, we choose to go to the moon in this decade and to do other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because the goal will serve to organize and measure the best of energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept. One we are unwilling to postpone. Friend, if I told you that Walt Disney said that himself, you'd believe me. Tell me that doing things because they're hard, not because they're easy, wasn't the Walt Disney mindset and way of doing things the Walt way the hard way because it was the right way not being willing to postpone things because we've got to do these things one might say that his optimism his vision of the world made what seemed sci-fi and non-realistic very realistic and very tangible I'm a big fan of skateboarding I grew up skateboarding my whole life and I read something from Tony Hawk who's arguably the most famous, the most celebrated skateboarder of all time. Once in an interview, they said, how do you do the tricks that you do? Because fun fact, a lot of the vert tricks, tricks done on the half pipe, were invented by Tony Hawk. He said that in his mind, he envisions himself doing it. He envisions himself in his mind's eye, successfully doing the trick before his muscle memory of his body actually performs it. I think in many ways, Walt Disney with Tomorrowland built what a future could look like. Then once it felt real, people were able to believe in it. And eventually, we were able to accomplish this. With Frontierland, Walt had reminded people the ruggedness that it took to settle the frontier. 
With the rivers of America, he showed people the progression of how we were able to turn steam into transport. With Main Street USA, he was able to showcase our innocence, our prosperity. With Tomorrowland, he was able to package up and sell to people the emotion that is the optimism of America, the courage to explore. Without a tomorrow even existing, he was able to package it up and sell it to people and sell it to them in a way that was very American. I don't know why I'm going to tell this story now, but I am because it's one that I often think about. I was sitting in a bar in Kentucky one night with a friend who had maybe had a few too many of the spirits. And he drunkenly held up a quarter and he showed it to me. And he told me, he said, you know, since the beginning of time, since the beginning of man on planet Earth, every single night, Mankind, humans, have looked up at the sky as the moon, as a compass, as something they didn't understand, as something that would light the sky at night for them to survive, to to know where to go, a guiding light to make it through the night. Since the beginning of time, man has looked at the moon. And then my friend told me, but Americans, we were the first to go to that moon. And I got choked up thinking that I was a part of this movement to do something that was so insanely ambitious. And yeah, we were racing against other countries to try to get there first because we wanted to say that we could do it. But it ain't bragging if you if it's real. It ain't bragging if you do it. It ain't bragging if you can make it happen. And America did make it there. And I feel like Tomorrowland really sold people the idea of where this country was heading, what we were capable of, and Walt was packaging up that optimism and selling it to people in the the idea of a park ticket, but in the idea of experience. So being able to go into Tomorrowland, it made the vision, the dream of tomorrow, feel quite validated. It made it feel real. And sure, space travel would catch up with Walt Disney, and in fact, it would go past him. But then they would repurpose Tomorrowland for America the Beautiful, America Sings. They would swap out one form of patriotism for the other. But it was a land that was built on the optimism of this place that Walt loved so much and was so proud to be from. Friends, as we end today's conversation, the patriotism of Disneyland. I think the most important thing that this park does, and if you're a Main Street USA buff and you thought that I forgot you, oh, no, 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 no. Don't judge me. I always save the best for the last. True storyteller. Probably one of the best things that Disneyland does. 
And I love all the things that make it feel more like a city and less like an amusement park. But probably the thing that I'm most proud to show friends that visit from other countries. And I've been lucky enough to show people around Disneyland for the day that came in from Europe, from Australia. And I always tried to just nail that second parade so that when we're already down on Main Street around 4-ish, 4.30-ish, I love to walk them over to Town Square for the flag ceremony. As an American, seeing the flag ceremony, it makes a lot of sense to us. We're very proud of our country. We're very proud of our flag. We're very proud of our military for what all that stands for. But watching it through the eyes of an Australian is such a different experience. Seeing it through the eyes of somebody from Europe is such a different experience because they not only see it kind of the way that we see it, but they see it as American nostalgia or Americana experience. And if you've never done the flag retreat ceremony, I'm telling you, you're missing out on one of the most special things that they do at Disneyland each and every day. At the end of the day, typically around 4.30, that's the time it's been running for about the last year. They will bring out the color guard. They'll have the Dapper Dans sing a handful of songs tribute in America. The Disneyland band will add support for background music. They do a tremendous job of celebrating America. They play sound clips from the different armed service divisions, the Navy, the Marines, the Coast Guard, the Air Force. Better not forget somebody. Ah, yes, the Army. It's the most obvious one. But they pay tribute to the five different branches of the military. And there is a cast member that I've been able to talk to a couple of times. His name is Ernie. And he is absolutely Hall of Fame, greatest cast member of all time. He shows up dressed in his Disneyland military garb. He works his way around the town square. And he asks everyone, are you active or are you in the military or did your family serve? And I always have to be like, no, 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 no. Brickies come from a long line of spineless people. My dad didn't serve. I didn't serve. My grandfather's an alcoholic who lived on the streets. No, no, no. Nobody here served. But I love watching him talk to the other families that did. And people will say, my dad served. He's no longer with us. And he will say, what was your father's name? And you tell him your father's name. He says, when I stand up there with the flag, I will recite your father's name to the flag. He's not pulling your leg, friend. This man's conviction, this man's love for his job, for this flag ceremony, it's huge. And as I've been documenting this very unique Disneyland experience, I realize a lot of the old veterans show up on Saturdays, get a cup of coffee, and hang out at Disneyland because they know that they're being observed, because they know that they're being paid tribute to, and because they know it's a safe space that they can hang around, have this little conversation, you know, chop it up with the boys and, and the girls, a lot of female officers down there as well. And then for a moment, they stand and they tribute the flag 
and they remember those that they don't have with them anymore. It is the most emotional part of the park. And Ernie one day made me promise, you got to come here on Veterans Day. And I said, yes, sir, I will. Veterans Day 2019, I got there early. I got a spot right on the edge. And I watched the entire thing. Packed. So many people there. So many more people there than a random day. But on Veterans Day, Disney takes all of their cast members that served in the military and they line them up on the stairs of the Main Street train station. And there's something so amazing about seeing a cast member wearing their Batu wardrobe, but standing <laughs> saluting the flag because at one moment they were also a Marine seeing all the cast members up there in their various costumes and some of them were wearing you know professional attire because they're behind the scenes cast members but a lot of them are decorated like the restaurants and the attractions that they work on and they play the music and they bring the flag down with tribute and knowing how much this means to Ernie and how he pays so much tribute to all of the veterans that have served there. And on a regular day when it's not so many vets there, they ask them to come forward. And they stand around the flag and they pay tribute to it. But the part that's the most heartwarming to me is afterwards watching them walk up to each other. Most of them strangers on vacation in from out of town and thanking each other. It is one thing for us to say thank you for your service, but it's another thing to see them thank each other for their service. And there's really not many things that you can do that are more selfless than being a firefighter or being in the military and serving the greater idea of what America means to you. And the fact that an amusement park, a fictional place that people ridicule for bottles of water that are $5 and t-shirts that cost 30 the fact that they still do this every afternoon. And in fact, friend, they're still doing this every afternoon, even though the gates have been closed now for 100 plus days. That flag, the real flag, there's a handful of flags all up and down Main Street, but they're not real American flags. They're missing a star, they're missing a stripe, so that they can stay out 24 hours a day until they fade too much, and then a guy on a cherry picker removes them and puts another one in their place. But those aren't real flags, so that they can stay up all day long. But the real flag, the one that counts on the tallest flagpole in Disneyland, next to the California flag, a state that I am so happy to call my home. The real flag gets pulled down every day at sunset. And all of the people that serve that flag are thanked by us, the guests, by Disneyland as an entity, and from each other. And out of all the things I've seen at Disneyland that make me cry, that make me choke up, that remind me why this place is so special. This, the flag ceremony, 
focus on the absolute top of the list. Friends, I did this episode by myself because I didn't want a conversation to go over any of the details. I didn't want to get interrupted and leave one thought half said so that a wrong conclusion could be inserted into the other half of the conversation. I also didn't want to bring anybody else on today because I didn't want it to dip over into politics. And as you know, many of my co-hosts work with the Disney park in some fashion or the other. So if anything was tonally wrong, I wanted to be on my shoulders and not on anybody else's. But if I'm being honest with you and honest is sort of my brand, (laughs) the real reason why I wanted to do this show today is because I've had a hard time believing in America. I've had a hard time believing in the stories that I was told as a child and what the flag and what this country mean to me as of late. All of the distress and the constant fighting and everything being political from a face mask that you could wear to make everyone around you feel safer to just simply how you live your life. I've had a hard time as of late believing and I wanted to give myself a challenge. I know for you it's only an hour plus, but I have been working on this for hours in my little office. I wanted to revisit 1954 when the first shovel went into the dirt of Anaheim and that dirt was flipped over and immediately became the land known as Disneyland. I wanted to go back to that moment in U.S. history and I wanted to see this through Walt's eyes. And I know he's not perfect. None of us are. But I want to get back to that simpler time. Just how Main Street is supposed to represent a simpler time for Walt, Disneyland represents, ironically, a simpler time for all of us. I needed to go there. I needed to focus on how when he didn't have all the blockbuster properties, he leaned on America. He leaned on our past. He leaned on our present and the optimism and the promise of our future. I wanted to go back and tell this story to you. So hopefully I could tell this story to myself and believe again that this country is all that I was promised that it's supposed to be. I wanted to feel that lump in the back of your throat when you think of a soldier who gave up everything because they thought that America was worth it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you have a safe and socially distant 4th of July weekend and you don't get too rowdy and you keep to yourself so that real soon all of us can get back to Disneyland as fast as humanly possible because I need to walk on Main Street USA. I need to see it. I need to smell it. And I need to feel it. So you have yourself a very safe 4th of July remind yourself that it's up to you to be the best American possible to all the other Americans so that we can make America feel the way that it's supposed to. Friend, I don't know you, but I know if you've made it this far, you love Disneyland like I do, and that means that you are truly a friend of mine. Until the next time we meet, don't forget, live the magic every single day. 
And if you want to go on this tour with me virtually, I'll be doing it this Friday over on twitch.tv slash AID Network. I'll see you next Wednesday when we go back to Disneyland and do it all over again. Happy 4th of July. Happy birthday, America. gotten this emotional on a podcast since episode 1000 with Rolly Crump. I gotta stop doing Disney podcast on the big anniversaries. It's too much for my little weak Disneyland heart. It's just too much.